Now, at this point, we normally have a sermon. A sermon is a message from God. But we're not going to have one this morning. I think that uh, we've sung and we've had a children's talk and we've even heard the Bible read. I I think that's enough for this morning. So you can have some time to have a chat. Um, But um, it's not just me being lazy and haven't prepared something. I think that's enough for, for the moment. Not really, by the way. Not really. I, you probably realise not really, because I'm not good at pretending. Um, and I was just pretending there. But if we didn't have a message from the Bible, would it make a difference to you? Oh yes, it would for the next half an hour, but would it make a difference to you in your actual life? That we do have a message now from the Bible, will it make a difference to you? Not just for the next half an hour, but in your actual daily life. That many of you have listened to many sermons in the past. Have they made a difference to you? Have you actually done what they said? Or have you gone away and you might as well have not heard it? Maybe you found it interesting. You might have found it enjoyable. You might have found it boring and wished it was over. But the question isn't any of those. It is, the next week might you as well have not heard it. And it might as well have not happened. This morning, we're going to get a warning from a person who listened to preaching and even liked listening to it, but he did not do it. Now, he's only one of three people. There's basically three people I'm going to tell you about this morning. The one I just mentioned was called Herod. We're also going to hear about John the Baptist. But as always, the main person the preaching is about is, is Jesus. So as well as warning, I hope we're going to get encouragement. We're in a series going through Mark's Gospel. We've been a bit off and on and going elsewhere, but we're basically in a series through Mark's Gospel. Would you turn to Mark chapter 6, please, if you've got a Bible? And if you get on the bookshelves at the back, those brown ones on the back bookshelves, feel free to help yourself and it may help you. I'm sure it would help you to have it in front of you. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. I've called this sermon a real disciple because one of the big themes of Mark's gospel is being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Today, we use the word Christian, but back then, well, the word Christian, I think, appears three times in the Bible. It wasn't used very much. They were called disciples. A disciple is someone who follows a leader, trusts that leader, and therefore lives the way the leader says. And so a Christian is a disciple of Jesus, someone who trusts him and therefore lives the way he says. And Mark was written to show you why you should be a disciple of Jesus and what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. And this morning we're getting from Mark chapter 6 two things about being a disciple of Jesus. A real disciple turns from him and follows Jesus. And you might recognise that they are basically two sides of the same coin. The two go hand in hand. Turn from sin and follow Jesus. So first of all, a real disciple turns from sin, doesn't just listen to preaching. Now, let's figure out what Mark is showing us here in Mark chapter 6. As I preach, I'm aiming both to give you a message for you to do, but also to help you with How do you read the Bible for yourself and figure out what it's saying? 
Now, what is Mark showing us here? Have you ever had this experience? You're reading a story or you're watching a TV programme and the story is progressing and maybe it's reaching a dramatic point when suddenly there's a flashback and something is dropped in that it happened ages ago and it seems most out of place and you wonder how on earth was that relevant? But if it's a good storyteller, it will be relevant and it will be helping you to understand what's going on then and there. Mark has been telling us the life of Jesus. The storyline of the life of Jesus has been progressing and suddenly, chapter 6, verse 17, there's a flashback. And he takes us back to, there was a man called John the Baptist and he had his head chopped off. It's just dropped in completely out of place, a flashback. It not only interrupts the story of Jesus, it interrupts the events of chapter 6. So, if you look at verses 6 to 11, Jesus sends his disciples out to preach and heal. In verses 6 to 11. Verses 12 to 13, they start doing it. They go out and preach and heal. How did they get on? Well, they report back in verse 30. You may have noticed when Richard read it to us, he included verse 30, because that's, that's when they report back on their preaching and healing tour. And dropped slap bang into the middle is this story of John the Baptist and Herod, this flashback. Mark is saying to us, this is relevant to the disciples going out to preach and heal. Mark is saying to us, The John the Baptist and Herod story is relevant to what went on in verses 6 to 13. That's why I've put it in the middle of the sandwich. It's telling us something relevant about Jesus sending out his disciples. What? What's the relevance? Well, we'd better do a bit of thinking. And often when we're doing a bit of thinking about what's a writer telling us, it's good to go back to the beginning, where the themes were set. And you go back to Mark chapter 1 and you find the very first words of Jesus reported by Mark in verse 14 and 15 are, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus came preaching repentance. Now, Jesus sends out his disciples and they're going to do what? Verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. He sends them out as preachers of repentance. What is repentance? The word repent simply means turn. And specifically it means turn from your sins to follow Jesus. Turn from your sins to follow Jesus. That is repenting. And it's a message that demanded a decision. Verse 11 tells us people will either welcome them or they'll reject them, which amounts to welcoming the message of Jesus and repentance or rejecting that message. No, I'm going to carry on in my sin. It was a message that would force a divide between those who welcome and turn from their sin and those who reject it and say, no, I'm sticking with my sin. And here in the middle... Mark drops in a story of a person who tried to avoid a decision, a person who wouldn't repent. He drops in a story of a person who tried to sit on the fence. Now, children, can you imagine this? Imagine two gardens. 
And in one garden there's a group of people and they're saying, come and play with us in our garden. And in the other garden next door is a group of people and they're saying, no, come and play with us in our garden. And you don't want to really go either way, so you sit on the fence in the middle. You have in English a, a saying, sitting on the fence. Because you don't want to go one way or the other, you sit on the fence. What do you reckon it's like sitting on the fence? Pretty uncomfortable, I reckon. Will you manage to sit on the fence for long? No, I don't think so. You'll be too uncomfortable or you'll fall off. You'll get off one side or the other eventually. Herod tried to sit on the fence when he heard he should repent. But he couldn't stay on the fence for long. So, I've tried to show you there how this chapter works and what Mark is showing us. So now let's hear Herod's story. Children, when you hear the name Herod, what do you think of? Probably a bad king in the Christmas story. Well, this Herod in Mark 6 was one of his sons. He had several sons, and they all called themselves Herod. as a sort of title to say what sort of king they were. So, he's not the one in the Christmas story. He's one of the sons of the one in the Christmas story. But all of these kings called Herod, they were all cruel, they were all bad, and they were very immoral also. And this one, who, by the way, is called Herod Antipas, he had a brother called Philip, also Herod Philip. Herod Antipas had a brother called Herod Philip. And Philip had a wife, who, just to confuse things further, is called Herodias. I doubt she was called Herodias when she was born. I expect that's because she married a Herod. Philip was married to Herodias, but Herod Antipas wanted Herodias, and Herodias wanted Herod Antipas. And so Herod took his brother's wife and married her. And this is where John the Baptist comes in. Mark's Gospel began right the way back in chapter 1, verse 4, by introducing John the Baptist, this fiery and important figure. And it says right at the start, he was a preacher of repentance. He told people to turn from sin. And so brave was he that he told Herod, turn from your sin. It is a sin. It is a terrible thing to take your brother's wife. You must give her up. You must turn from this sin. Wow. How brave. And, and what a big demand. Give up a marriage for a king to admit he's been wrong and wicked. What loss of face. Big demands. And Herodias hated John for it. Verse 19. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Now, Herod liked Herodias too much to do what John said and give her up. But the funny thing is, Herod also liked John too much to do what Herodias said and give John up. You see that? He liked Herodias too much. He's not going to do what John says and give up Herodias. But he also likes John too much to listen to Herodias and kill John. No, I'm not going to give John up either. I want both. He's trying to sit on the fence. He's trying to have it both ways. But it wouldn't last. No, it couldn't last. Let's move on in his story. Not repenting would take Herod to places he never expected to go. 
It would get him doing things he never thought he would do. Herod has a birthday party. Children, I expect you've all had a birthday party. And I hope they've been good fun times. And not like this one. Because at Herod's birthday party, well, Herodias' daughter from her first marriage dances. And Herod, probably a bit drunk, is really pleased with the dancing, and he makes a promise. And it's the sort of promise you could only make if you were a big show-off, very rich, and probably quite drunk. He says, I'll give you anything you ask for up to half my kingdom. Well, if you read the hints in Mark, Herodias is behind the scenes engineering all of this. And her daughter comes back and says, what shall I ask for? Up to half the kingdom, what would, what, what would she ask for? Money? A palace? A royal title? Lands? No, her mother says, you ask for John the Baptist's head delivered in, on a plate immediately. Wow. Herod never saw it coming. Never saw it coming, but it's too late now. He's got to get off the fence. He's got to get off the fence. Which side will he get off? Will he give up Herodias with all the loss of face? All the humiliation? Admitting he's been wrong? No. He gets off the fence the other side. On the side of sin. Not the side of repentance. And off comes John the Baptist's head. Are you like Herod? Are you like Herod? Are you saying, like Herod? Of course not. I'm in church. I actually like listening to preaching. So did Herod. Okay, he didn't go to church, but look at verse 20. He liked to listen to John. Oh, you say, I go to home group, and I like to discuss and try to grapple with the meaning of the Bible. So did Herod. Okay, he didn't go to home group, but look at verse 20. He puzzled over what John said, puzzling over it. What's this man saying? I'm trying to get to grips with it. Oh, you say, I respect Christianity. I respect Jesus as a person. Yeah, but look at verse 20 and Herod. He respected John. He feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. It is possible even to want Christianity to be true, to see Jesus gives a good foundation for life. And without him, it's just all, well, there's no absolutes. And Jesus gives a good hope for life. It's possible to want Jesus to be true, but still have a sin you won't give up. Still have a sinful tendency or habit that, that you want to indulge and you don't want to admit is wrong. It's just going to be too hard. Still have a sin that is too precious for you to let go of. That is like Herod. He liked John the Baptist and he liked Herodias and he wanted to keep them both. Do you like Jesus? You really do. You're really impressed with him. You really want to believe him. You do believe things about him are true. But you also like that particular sin and you want to keep them both. You can't. You can't. Because the first words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 are, the kingdom of God is near, repent. Not make yourself perfect, make yourself good enough for me. Jesus did not say that at all. 
But he did. He is saying, give up that sin. Don't indulge it. Fight it. Don't keep pursuing it. Turn from it. Come off the fence. Herod shows you will come off the fence one day, but which side will it be on? You see, Herod also shows us sin has a tendency to grow and demand more and take control and end up taking you to a place you never expected to go to. Children, I don't know if they still have these children's stories. They did when I was a child called the Jungle Doctor stories. And in one of them, there's this family in Africa and they find a baby leopard and they take it into their home. Oh, it's only small and they just give it milk to drink. It doesn't get a taste for blood. And it's tame and it's cute and they treat it as their pet. It's just little. It can't do any harm. But what does it do? Of course, it grows. And it grows, and it grows. It doesn't stay small and harmless. And the story has this phrase going through it. Little leopards become big leopards, and big leopards kill. And the story ends with it killing. Sin grows, and it demands more, and it takes control, and it can take you to places you never expected you would end up. Herod's sin took him to a place he never expected. And sin, if you don't turn from it, eventually will take you to a place Jesus calls hell. Being a disciple involves turning from sin, not just liking listening to preaching. But that's one side of the coin, and and it always must go with this. Being a disciple isn't just turning from sin. Turning from Jesus. So here's the second part. A real disciple follows Jesus, including when it's costly. Now, we need to sort of go back and do the same thing as we've done before. We need to ask again, what is Mark showing us in chapter 6? Let's have a think again. And uh, some of this will be going over the same ground. Verses 6 to 13, Jesus is sending his disciples to represent him to the world and call people to repent. But Mark drops into the middle of it a story about John the Baptist who represents Jesus to the world and calls people to repent. Now, Jesus' disciples will face rejection. Verse 11 tells us that sometimes their role will be hard because people don't like being told to repent. And Mark drops into the middle a story about John the Baptist who faced rejection. His role was hard because Herod didn't like being told to repent. So hard it killed him. Well, you say, that's an interesting parallel, but what's the, what's the point of hearing that? Okay, we've got a bit of a literary lesson here. Is this an English lesson at looking at parallels in text? No, it's more than that. Because, because there's a stronger parallel. Stronger parallel. Uh, let me try to illustrate it like this. This summer, just gone, on our family holiday, as we were driving in the car, we as a family listened to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Now, three of us in the car had already read the story, and there were various points where we said, oh, I didn't notice that the first time I read it. That's pointing forward to what will come at the end. 
Because this was our second time we spotted. Oh, J.K. Rowling's put a little pointer in there. That's what's going to happen at the end, which was probably really annoying for the two people in the car who hadn't heard the story before. But when you read something for a second time, you spot little things that say what's going to come later. Mark expects us to read his gospel more than once. And when you do, to spot, here's a hint of what's coming at the end. Let's see what this is pointing forward to by hearing John's. What did John do? John showed up Herodias' sin and she hated him for it and she plotted his death. Ah, what's that a little pointer to? Jesus showed up the sin of the religious leaders and they hated him for it and they plotted his death. Herodias couldn't herself get John killed. No, she needed the ruler to do it, who happened to be her husband, Herod. John ended up in the hands of a cruel but weak leader, Herod, who had the power to order his execution. The religious leaders, they couldn't get Jesus killed themselves. No, they needed the leader to do it. And Jesus ended up in the hands of a man called Pilate, a cruel but weak leader had the power to have him executed. Herod was put under pressure by Herodias and she managed to manipulate him when he asked, when he made a foolish offer so that she could get John killed. Pilate was manipulated by the religious leaders who managed to catch him out when he made a foolish offer. Who do you want me to release to you? So that Pilate had Jesus executed. And the story ends with John's disciples burying him in a tomb. Just like Mark's gospel will not quite end, but near the end, you have Jesus' disciples burying him in a tomb. Oh, you say, well, there we go. Those are interesting parallels. We've done a bit more investigation of a book. What do with me? Well, this, Mark is teaching us what a real disciple of Jesus is like. Verse 11, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you face possible rejection. You may be rejected by people. Verse 14 to 29 say, and the rejection may go this far. Look, John the Baptist had his head chopped off. That's how far the rejection may go. You may lose your life. And this is all showing us Jesus was rejected by people and it cost him his life. Being a disciple of Jesus means following him. And it is costly following him. And the cost can include being rejected by people. The Bible is clear. Following Jesus involves a cost. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, if they rejected me, expect them to reject you. People rejected the most wise, loving, good and kind man there's ever been. Why expect to be treated any better. We may be rejected. There will be a cost and we must keep following. That's what Mark is telling us in chapter six. We must keep following. Children, are you keeping listening? I hope so. Imagine your family is driving up the M1. There you're going up the M1 and from Nottingham onwards, you notice a red Ferrari. And uh, your family's rather interested in this red Ferrari. And you drive behind this red Ferrari and you look at the red Ferrari and you're going along behind it all the way until at Sheffield. Sorry, I meant to say I forgot. You're on your way to Leeds. 
You're on your way to Leeds. Your aim is to get to Leeds. That's where you're going. That is crucial to the whole story. You're on your way to Leeds, okay? From Nottingham onwards, you see this red Ferrari and you're driving behind it and you're watching it. And then it turns off to Sheffield and you go on your way to Leeds. Were you following the red Ferrari? Was it setting your direction? No, you just happened to be going the same way for a while. You were going the same way for quite a long time, Nottingham to Sheffield, that's quite a way, but it was not directing you. You were not following it, you were just going the same way for a while. If you only follow Jesus when he fits with your ambitions, if you only follow Jesus when it fits with the sort of life you were expecting, the comforts that you think you have a right to, you're not really following him. You just appear to be going in the same direction for a while. Now, the problem with this is it's easy to daydream. I don't know if you find this, I do. It's easy to daydream if I was John the Baptist, how I'd stand firm. If I was in a North Korean prison camp, or if I was captured by ISIS, how I would stay firm. It's easy to daydream, but what about in our ordinary lives? What about this Monday to Friday? There are so many little ways that following Jesus can cost us, including sometimes rejection by others. Girls at school, maybe fitting in with friends brings some pressure to dress in a certain way that shows off your body and looks sexy. But following Jesus means not doing that, even if sometimes it means some rejection. People thinking you're a little odd. I went for a walk in the Bluebell Woods a while ago with a local man who's an unbeliever, who I was just starting to get to know. Do you know what one of his first questions to me was? What do you believe about homosexuality? Oh, wow. Why do you put that first? It wasn't quite first, but it was nearly first. What a big question. What am I going to say? Would I give him an honest, clear and sensitive answer? That risks rejection. You might face similar issues at university or school or in your workplace. We live in a society where increasingly that's the case. Or maybe at work or or in your sports team, there's a heavy drinking culture or there's an unclean talk culture or there's a gossipy grumbling culture. That sometimes is uh, harder to spot, but very definitely there. And if you don't go along with it, you're always just a bit of an outsider. Not explicitly rejected, but always a bit of an outsider. Just some little examples. There's so many more could be given. I'm sure you could think of some relevant to you. Mark is about being a disciple of Jesus. Are you really following him? Wherever he leads you, whatever it costs you, Or are you just like the person driving behind the Ferrari for a little bit of the way until it goes off a different way? Now, in all of this, don't forget, Mark wants us to be disciples of Jesus. And his main way of doing it is not by giving instruction. He does give instruction. All the sermon so far has been instruction. But his main way of doing it is not giving instruction. His main way of doing it is showing us Jesus so we trust him. Mark chapter 6 is part of this picture Mark is painting, showing us Jesus so we trust him. 
And Mark's key verse for what the picture is like is later on in chapter 10, he says, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Didn't come so we would give him the life he deserves to have. He came to give to us. We don't turn from sin and follow Jesus so we can earn something out of him. We don't do this so that we're good enough for him. He didn't come so we give him stuff. He came so he could give us salvation. He came to give himself because we're not good enough. He came to earn the salvation we'll never manage to earn ourselves. He loved us freely and he saved us fully. And that is the reason for turning from sin and follow him, whatever the cost, because he first loved us. Are you turning from your sin? Not just listening to the sermon this morning. Are you following him, whatever it might cost you?